We were trying to do guerrilla marketing ideas and stuff back then. We used to go into Selfridges and just leave our t-shirts on the on the rack as though people could <laughs> buy it. So hopefully people would pick it up and go to the tills and try and buy it. And then someone in Selfridges would be like, what's this 304 clothing? So we, we, we're trying everything. This one's sponsor is Triple Whale. Supercharge your ad campaigns with their revolutionary analytics platform because better data means better campaigns. If you're running any type of paid media, then you need to be using Triple Whale. Find out more at trytriplewhale.com. Hello and welcome back to the DTC Deep Dive. My name is Fraser and today we're joined by an icon in the e-commerce apparel industry, David Powell from 304 Clothing. He's an English lad, so it's good to have a fellow Englishman on the podcast. And he's going to be telling us his story of how he started 304 Clothing after it being going for 10 years this year. The ups, the downs, and where he's heading next. We're also going to be touching on retail and wholesale and why it's important for brands to expand with wholesale and retail. A really interesting one. Excuse the sweat on my forehead and the fan noise in the background. It's boiling hot in the UK. Anyway, less about that. Let's get on with the podcast. Welcome, David, to the D2C Deep Dive. How are you doing, mate? It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get you on here for ages, but schedules have clashed. You've been all over the place. I've been all over the place, but we're doing it. It's finally here. It's finally happening. It is happening, mate. I'm, I'm yeah, very, very grateful to be invited and uh, happy to get stuck into it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm really excited. You're going to have to excuse the fact that we have uh, an aircon unit on in here because it is boiling in the UK at the moment. You're in your car, so I don't <laughs> even, I mean, do you have your aircon on, windows open, or are you just Windows gonna... open, aircon's on, but it's a lot cooler than the air, the warehouse at the moment. Our studio's like a greenhouse, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be sat oh. in the car and not in there. Man, it is it is horrific. Currently, 22 degrees, which might not seem like much to people, but I feel like when it's hot in the UK it feels way hotter than like anywhere else in the world. I don't know why this is a thing. Actually, we discovered recently we have a longer relationship than we, than we even realized because like maybe like four years ago, we made you some gifts for your Instagram, like way, way back. Uh, And then, and then we got back in touch on Twitter. You've done uh, the prints for all of our staff, like merchandise, I guess you'd call it. So we've got some hoodies, some t-shirts, some long sleeve stuff. You've sent me some stuff which I'm repping. I'm repping the 304. I've got a hoodie, which I was wearing as well. Uh, So yeah, happy days. Yeah, definitely not a hoodie today. So for people that don't know who you are, have never heard of 304, give us your story. Let's talk about it and then we'll go go in depth after that. Okay, cool. Um, So Whistle Stop One is on the co-founder. Um, we started the brand 10 years ago. Um, I studied architecture at university of Liverpool. Um, and the, the sort of the idea behind three or four and why it started was just, we had like, uh, like a core group of friends that we all, I don't know if you've been to university, but like, it's a very, like, it's a little bit entrepreneurial that you work in crazy hours. You, you're in a real group of people that are sort of doing the same thing. And, um, after university, we were just like, we kind of wanted to carry it on the nine to five of working in a, an architectural studio and my two business partners at the time working as a physio and um in a pharmaceutical company so they weren't that exciting if i'm honest with you we just wanted to do something outside of the the nine to five hours and we just stumbled across sort of clothing really it was never pre-thought out or a pre-medicated business idea or brand idea we, we stumbled across it um through Tumblr. Tumblr was probably the uh, social media at the mm-hmm. time. It was quite big. I remember. Yeah. I remember the um, Tumblr days. 
Yeah. So I got a little bit obsessed with Tumblr. Saw a vest that I really liked. Couldn't find it anywhere. It's not like you scan in an item in a shop these days and it tells you where to buy it from. It was like, where on earth can I get that vest? <clears throat> so we just made it. And then 10 years far, like fast forward, here we are, <clears throat> sat in my car doing a podcast with you and the brand's turning 10 years old in August. So yeah, that's a quick 10 years. Yeah, and I mean, you've had... You've had a pretty a pretty crazy 10 years and we'll speak about that a little bit further from like your warehouse burning down and you basically mm-hmm. losing everything and have to kind of start start over again. Uh you're you're stocked in some massive retailers as the ASOS like you know you're you're no longer a small fish in the pond which which is making clothes for you and your mate. So like what's yeah. what would you say has been has been the biggest change for you from going from that core group of mates making clothing for yourself basically and a few friends yeah. to now having you know a clothing line which is worn by you know thousands of people the initial sort of like quickening up of the brand was was influenced the marketing back like six seven years ago and when it went from just us getting messages from friends being like oh can you make me the one-off vest or the vest for the weekend and we were getting like 10 15 20 orders from say australia and we had no idea who they were mm-hmm. it was that moment where we were like hold on a second the we're actually starting to get more sales now away from family and friends. And we sort of, the, the light bulb moment sort of came. We're like, okay, well, maybe this could be something. We didn't think it'd be a business or a brand because at the time when that was, we started, bedroom brands and stuff weren't really mm. a trodden path. There was no one else that we could look at and go, okay, we'll say this brand's done that. Let's follow their footsteps because 10 years ago, Instagram wasn't even around. We were, we were really early to it, so we had to sort of learn on the job. Um, but yeah, I'd say that that was the initial turning point was when we that switch happened from friends weren't buying it as much, which at the, at the beginning, it was a great support for us. Our friends were purchasing family and stuff. And then I'd say phase two would be maybe six years into the business when it was self-sufficient enough for myself and Sean to be full-time in the business. But we were like, well, where could we take this to? Where could it go to next? Could we look at getting staffing, scaling it, trying to approach these retailers that in the past, when we'd had conversations, we weren't really set up to do it. Like I think we had a conversation with Selfridges in our second year and I was a bit of a rabbit in the headlights. So I didn't really know. Mm. And some of the questions they were asking, I didn't, I, I didn't know what they were asking me. So it was a bit of a steep learning curve in that sense. But... Uh, yeah, I'd say there's the two two moments in the business that really changed it. I have a co-founder as well, and I think the moment where myself and my co-founder, Nick, could finally take a full-time wage and we had a contract yeah. that was in place that would pay us, that was like the biggest point. And we were like, hold on, we can actually do this as a job and it's no longer just us messing about in our bedroom. Yeah, it's it, a little bit scary, like- isn't it? Yeah, it, it's definitely the coolest moment of running your own business where you can actually afford to pay yourself. And then as soon as you can start to pay other people, it's 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 insane. So you mentioned a little bit then about influencer marketing. Influencer marketing has changed massively from when you started doing it. And yeah. you've because it's 10 years since you've been going, you've been posting some some of like the old photos of celebs wearing your clothes and stuff. Let's talk about that, like early days of influencer marketing, what it was like for you like how that impacted your business because that must have been massive because I feel like you must have been one of the first brands to to have celebs wearing your wearing your stuff and then people buying it because of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um it was never pre-thought out. I think I heard Ben Francis say the same thing that 
it didn't have a tag of influence the market and it didn't have a tag of gifted collaborations or anything like that. We, we just, we, we, we were selling clothes and at the time people were trying to grow their Instagram pages again, not knowing what they could be, but we had people from One Direction, X Factor, some of the biggest influencers around now were wearing it back then when they were relatively small, but even when they were small, they were getting crazy ROI for us for just sending out a free vest. Um, and yeah, it, it, the landscape's changed massively now, but it still, it still works. But I think now you have to put a lot more time and effort and, and sort of thought into it. Back then it was as simple as someone who was relatively aligned with what we were selling. Say we had a vest that was, we used to be quite slogan based. We had one that said strictly house music on it. Simple, just a slogan. We sent it to some DJs in Australia. They wore it at a festival behind the DJ decks. Next day we woke up, we had like 35 sales. Which again, Whoa. it's not not hundreds, but back then we were only getting one or two sales a day. So we were like, "What on earth has just gone on here?" So it was it was great. It really kicked us forward. It sort of gave us the kick at the bum to say, "Hold well, on, you, you're actually making clothes here that people quite like." But we didn't understand how to get it in front of people. Because again, Facebook ads weren't well. Facebook ads weren't around. Hmm. Instagram ads weren't around. TikTok wasn't a thing. So we it was really the only way we could get our clothes in front of people other than just organically posting to social media or, or gifting. We used to go to festivals and hand clothes out to people and then try and get a picture of them wearing it. So it looked like someone had yeah. purchased it, even though they hadn't and stuff. So like we were trying to do guerrilla marketing ideas and stuff back then. And we used to go into Selfridges and just leave our t-shirts on the, on the rack as though people could buy it. So hopefully people would pick <laughs> it up. And go to the tills and try and buy it and then someone in selfridges would be like what's this 304 clothing so we, we, we're trying everything but influencer marketing was definitely the one that sort of we saw good yeah how are you how are you going about finding finding the people to send it to because like i mean now i mean there's talent agencies there's influencer mm -hmm. agencies all this stuff you mentioned like members of one direction wearing your clothes were you just searching their agent and then getting their address and sending them stuff yeah, some people like that. Uh, it was it was finding their agents or some stylists used to reach out to us quite organically. Whether like there's a couple of we were based in Manchester, so a few stylists that lived locally started hearing of the brand and they were like, "Oh, we could get this on X Factor." And then once it was in X Factor, some of the contestants were seeing it, and at the time that's One Direction. It was the dancers, and then it was made in Chelsea stars. It was all really organic. To be honest with you, we did a lot of outreach. Don't get me wrong, through just messages on Instagram, messages on, on Twitter or whatever else it was. But at, at the beginning, a lot of people were approaching the brand directly. And, and, and how's that changed now in terms of how you're, do you, do you still do influencer marketing? Is it still a major part of, of your marketing stack? Like how's that changed compared to how it used to be? We, we probably don't do it as aggressively as we used to on the, the sort of the paid side of things. We do, we do have like an ambassador scheme where we gift to, are what you call micro influencers where we try and sort of feed the clothes in at the the grassroots so to speak rather than going in at the the, the really expensive paid um ambassadors because we just found that we didn't we stopped liking sending out say one product to one person that would be seen by more people and we actually prefer sending it out to say 100 people and then 100 people organically saying i like this brand i like the clothes and letting the word of mouth spread rather than using the social media side of things and trying to feed downwards. So we changed our approach mm -hmm. a little bit. I think it probably aligned with when we, we sort of stopped selling ourselves as a bit of a lad brand 
during the middle of the, the brand's history, we we did focus on being in JD Sports for Asylum and was putting a real emphasis on the menswear. And I think we sort of lost, not lost our way, but we sort of said, this isn't really what the brand started about. It was about being a unisex brand, family, fun, not that sort of sportswear lab brand, JD. So when we did that, we were like, well, we need to start getting this clothes back out to real life influencers who are people who wear our clothes day in, day out. If the influencers aren't buying our clothes, then maybe they're not a true support of the brand in the first place. What do you think of the influencer marketing industry as a whole? Because like I've seen a bit of a change, especially in the past 12 months, to how it used to be so you know aggressive. Every, everyone was doing it. It was the mm -hmm. only thing that people used to speak about. Whereas now I feel like, especially with the rise of like user-generated videos where people are less bothered about you know who's making it and more about yep. the actual content which is coming out of it. Do you think influencer marketing as an industry is taking a bit of a dip that it won't recover from? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. I think like you said, the user-generated content is really good for brands and businesses in terms of showcasing the products, which I think maybe the users are probably more interested in now seeing actually the functionality or the, the positives of the product rather than just seeing sets Love Island style wearing it in front of their staircase or in front of a car, which maybe two, three years ago, which it did work for 304. It's worked for tons of other brands. I'm sure it still does mm. for some brands, but I think the customer base isn't as bothered by it. It's not as affected by it anymore. And they would rather see, like you said, the user-generated content, the real-life stuff and actually seeing the product in its real environment obviously mm. clothing is quite an easy one in that sense but i saw you post a picture the other day about the the baby cuts and stuff and the difference yeah. in conversion for a, a picture of it in real life versus a studio and the difference in conversion and it's it's true in all all brands and all businesses that's what people want to see really now i think yeah. influencer marketing in general like obviously gymshark are the the kings at it really but there's a long-term long-term partnerships which i think if you're gonna do it you've got to do it that way really this week's edition of the dc deep dive is brought to you by motion are you still using spreadsheets to track your creative ad reporting well if you are you should try motion instead motion bridges the gap with your creative team through visual and digestive reports so they can make engaging content that actually converts with one click you can share insights with your team and add members to your workspace so they can easily deep dive into reports on their own. Motion makes it super easy to identify key drivers for performance and helps eliminate the guesswork in the creative production process. Join the 500 plus teams like Huel, The Ridge and Foxwell Digital in using Motion to improve their ad results. Say goodbye to creative fatigue and try Motion for yourself with a 14 day free trial at motionapp.com. Let's talk about one of the major events, I guess, that happened in the 10 years that you've been running 304 is when your warehouse burned down. And I yeah. mean, for, for anyone, I mean, if, if my office burned down like that, like, I don't know what I do. Like, I mean, we have all of our camera gear here. We have our computers, everything for you. It was your stock. It was the thing that you're making, making money from, right? Like what, yeah. what was that like? Like, tell us that story. That was wild we we had just made a huge business decision to do our first hire so we were going from two founders very like hustle stage of the business to going mm -hmm. okay right we are now going to pay first member of staff pension tax everything like that big moment in the brand we actually went away on holiday 
the first member of staff is my best friend. So we were on holiday together just before he started. And um, I got a phone call from my business partner back in the UK and said, look, sit down. I think you're going to need to sit down for this one. Our warehouse is burnt down. So there was a leak in the ceiling. It was a 3PL uh, warehouse. It was absolutely huge. It had other brands in there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the water got into the lights and the whole thing went up in, in flames. And we lost all our stock here. Yeah. So it's it was about 200, 250, 300 grand's worth of stuff. We had nothing, nothing left other than some samples in an office in Manchester. And I think we, well, I sat down and was like, right, I'm going to fly home straight away. We need to do something. Mm-hmm. I sat down and thought, right, I need to fly back to the UK and start doing something to fix this issue. Mm-hmm. But my friends actually sat me down and said, look, you're probably going to be a lot more good for the business if you just take a, a day think about things come up with a plan and then attack it rather than going back in your emotional state of like what on earth are we going to do here yeah um so yeah taking that 24 hours was key and then we had a conversation with john who was the staff member who we were hiring sean and we just said look we can either call it a day now and just leave it there'd be no no shame in doing that because this is a massive event that mm. would probably finish most businesses or we give it a massive push and say, right, this is a bit of a reset for the business as for the brand and let's give it a go. So we, we actually did a rebrand. We went from 304 hashtag to 304. We had a new website built. We spoke to all our suppliers and said, look, we're not going to be able to afford to pay for any of this stock that's currently on the way or any of the stock that we've just purchased. Will you support us? Will you get behind our new vision of like resetting the brand? And to be honest with you, some of them said, yeah. So I think it goes back to like sort of myself and Sean and the relationships we built with, with our suppliers that they supported the vision and they built into it as well and sort of thought, okay, these guys are serious now. And yeah, we just, we said, we're going to give it a go. And we just got stuck in straight away. We got the website live within three days. Again, we had print on demand going in the UK within two days. So all the customers who were like expecting X order, we contacted them and said, look, this is the situation as honest as possible. Well, your stock's burnt down. We can offer you this replacement instead. Do you want it? And I'd probably say like 90% of the customers said, send it me whenever you can. Don't worry about it. We're supporting 304. And that was another bit of a moment where we're like, oh, our customers are really behind us here. Mm. We've built a community that they're, they weren't just buying a new T-shirt. They were supporting 304, the business and the brand. and from that point onwards we've not really looked back it's been it's been tough don't get me wrong because obviously the, the financial implications of of that hap- happening has been has been really hard to navigate but the brand is a lot stronger the community is a lot stronger on the back of it so people have asked would you change it and i, I say now no i wouldn't i'd probably do it all over again because i personally and the brand are a lot stronger because of it yeah amazing it uh, yeah i think a lot of the time these these massive you know problems or you know things like that that happen in our business definitely you know change things i can think of multiple occasions in frag mm. where we've had things go completely belly up and it's normally yeah. ended up for the better and it's almost like something is kind of guiding you in that direction so yeah. in in 2019 you launched on asos which for any of our i'm not sure uh, asos in the us they do ship in the US, yeah. They, they do, do ship they to the US. In from, yeah. yeah, so it's 
I, I mean, that's like the main place that I get most of my clothing from. It's like the easiest way to buy clothes online. And you launched on ASOS. I'd say it's the biggest clothing retailer. Why did you choose to partner up with ASOS and not just focus direct on D2C through the 304 website? A couple of areas to the question. We sell men's, women's, and juniors. So there's quite a lot of scope in the brand. And at times, it's quite hard to get all those messages across to, to all the target markets, essentially. So we were thinking, well, we're either going to have to keep ramping up our spend on ads to try and approach men's, women's, juniors, families, because we sell so so many mm. SKUs. Or we can partner up with certain retailers who will essentially, in, well, indirectly, they, they compete with your sales because they're both online, but mm -hmm. you would reach a wider audience, which in turn, obviously, when you go on a, a stockist like ASOS or whoever else, you don't put your full SKU list on there. So you're, you're sort of hoping that it goes into the cost of acquisition, that someone will buy an item off ASOS, really like it, then be like, oh, this brand's really nice. Let's check their website out. Go onto the website and see how you've presented your website, the story of the brand, the staff, everything that goes behind it, and sort of invest in the brand and then becomes a fan and then will eventually purchase directly from your website. So that was sort of our tactic with it. Um, and we've partnered with quite a few retailers over the years in different countries. Um, and they've always been successful for us. It, we always see the direct traffic coming to our website from them areas or from them countries. So it's something that we're always going to have in our business plan to partner up with different retailers as we go forward. Yeah. Do you think it's, it's, it's a major thing that other kind of online fashion retailers should look at? I'm sure there's plenty of people that want to get into this industry. Maybe they already have a fashion brand, which they're thinking about, uh, yeah. you know, may, maybe taking it to a stockist. Do you think that should definitely be part of everyone's play? Yes, I know. <laughs> so it, it depends if they, they align with, with your brand, your, your values and stuff. There's no point in sticking your, or trying to stick your brand in, in a store that you're not comfortable yourself. So say like, I don't know, uh, I always go back to like, say represent, they're not going to put their brand in foot asylum because their, their price points don't align. Their target mm -hmm. market might be slightly different. So as long as you can confidently say, right, I feel like three or four would fit or whatever brand it is with this stockist and you're prepared to work with them and they're prepared to work with you, then yeah, I don't see why not. On the flip side, there's brands like your Gymsharks that are local to me, Manny Edouard Lounge Underwear, that they're solely direct to consumer and that's the way they like it because they have control, more control over the data, more control over the information on their customers, which is valuable. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, it really depends on the brand, depends on the owners, depends on the strategy. We, we quite like it because we, we get to reach a wider audience than we would if we just stay direct to consumer. Um, but we've gone through periods where we haven't done wholesale for a couple of years at a time. So I would definitely say try it. Yeah, and one of the other retailers that you're in, which actually took me by surprise, to be honest, when I, when, when I saw you in there, is Asda, which for US listeners is Walmart, right? Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. So you're, you're in Asda, which I'd say is like one of the biggest supermarkets in the UK and yeah. in the US as well. Like what was what was the decision to go into Asda? Because you mentioned there about making sure that they align with who you are as a brand yeah. and making sure that you can both work together. What was the reason for going in Asda? Asda was um, an opportunity came up sort of during COVID when obviously the retail high street was really struggling in terms of people couldn't weren't allowed to go there and, and supermarkets were future proof that customers could always go to a supermarket. 
So that that opportunity presented itself that we were like, well, we can still allow our customers to see our clothing in real life, even if an event like this was to happen again, which hopefully it doesn't. Um, but then also, as the I think the or George itself is the biggest online retailer in the UK in terms of the customer base it actually gets, especially on women's wear. Wow. So we we sell 65, 70% menswear and our women's wear is is drastically less than the menswear. So we saw it as an opportunity again to try and reach a wider audience on the women's wear side of things and to continue pushing the fact that we are a unisex brand. So a lot of our stuff is perfect for a, a lad or a girl to wear. So we just saw it as an opportunity again to to reach more people who are in our sort of target audience. Young families shop at Asda, young families shop on 304. So it sort of just made sense at the time. Um, so yeah, that's it really. Yeah, what's the what's your split at the moment between D2C and retail or um, wholesale? It's probably 70% online, 30% wholesale I'd say at the moment. Um, and it's usually around there. I think this year, obviously, now COVID sort of nearly finished. A lot more stockists are now starting to have more confidence in buying stock. So we're having a quite a good year on wholesale this year. So I'm not too sure what that number's going to finish at. <clears throat> but that's probably about that. You are seeing this move at the moment from people, you know, a few years ago, fast fashion, pretty little thing that, you know, and still are some of the biggest retailers going. And there's yeah. this idea of, kind of throwaway fashion right you're buying yeah. a, a shirt for three pound whatever and then you're you know you're very quickly moving on to the next thing do you think mm -hmm. now that people are starting to move away from that do you think it will affect the fashion industry and the way that people are buying clothes like because you know you're one of those retailers that isn't like that you know you're buying a really good piece of clothing which should last a while yeah. whereas you have other people on the other end of the spectrum we're already seeing you know some brands you know, going out of business because yeah. the industry is moving. Do you think that's going to carry on? How do you think people's shopping habits are going to change? I think so, yeah. I think the, the fast fashion is going to probably struggle. Um, not not that maybe the, the big, big brands because they can pivot and, and change their approach, but I think any small, small to medium sort of businesses that just focus on that throwaway fashion may start to see sales dip. Um, we, we made quite a couple of conscious decisions over the last few years to try and make sure we stay away from it as much as much as possible is we had a custom builder built on the website so we wanted to try and educate our customers to have more involvement in their actual purchase so they can design their own item on our website so we want our customers to think well when they've invested their own time and decision making into it that they're actually going to keep that item for three four mm. five times longer than just buying the three or four hoodie that I've designed or someone else has. So that was one of our key um, sort of, I'd say not tactic, but our decisions to try and keep our customers invested in buying long-term rather than short-term. Your customer base needs to be as educated as possible on it. So that is the brand's responsibility to tell people about making sure they're making the right decision in their purchases. And I think we're okay placed at the moment, but even businesses like ours will it will start filtering across even further that there's regulations coming in place that we all need to hit within certain times to make sure that we're doing everything we can to try and be as sustainable and environmentally friendly as possible. I, I love the idea of the personalized clothing that you do. 
yeah. I really wanted to 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 a chat about that. Do you think that's like? I mean, I don't know any other clothing brand that does that because that's like print on demand. Like that's exactly yeah. what that is, right? And you mentioned that you started to do that after the warehouse. So, I mean, do you do you see many people coming on customizing their own piece of clothing? And do you, when they make things, do you go, oh, that's pretty good. I'm going to have that, and I'm going to give that to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has it has happened. To be fair, we we launched a custom builder. I think it was two years ago now and some of the designs that come through are crazy and we think wow this is this is really good so we send them a, a, a letter and say like would you be happy for us to shoot this on our next shoot and launch it and stuff and some of the customers come back and say like they're buzzing with it so again it yeah. sort of integrates the customer into the brand further and i, I love it i i find myself making myself a new t-shirt or a new hoodie from three or four every time we we do a new collection drop and then we we stick them on social media and people go, oh my, can we can I buy that that item? And I'm like, well, it's probably got about hundred pounds worth of logos on it, so I don't think you'd want to maybe spend that. But it's it's a real good sort of um, message for the customers and for the brands. And yeah, it's it's a it's a great thing. We 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 pretty much ninety percent print on demand in our our bulk orders as well, so we have zero wow. wastage. If an order comes through up until three o'clock. We print it there and then on that day, and we get shipped that day. In previous years, pre-fire, we would be ordering stock like any mm. company would, but we weren't big enough to be selling through all the sizes and all the SKUs and stuff. So what we do now is we buy our own blank clothing. The only other brand that I know that for sure do this on a on a pretty big scale is Champion. They produce blank clothing, and then they finish it. I don't know if you've ever been to a Champion store in New York or London and no. stuff. You can go they're amazing you go in there you pick your hoodie t-shirt and stuff and then they have these like custom labs you go in there and you pick all your logos and they just do it for you right in front of you wow and that's how the brand started 10 years ago essentially on a very small scale where we'd buy vests from h&m and then print letters on for our friends so now 10 years on being able to do it on a bigger scale is brilliant and it's good that we, we have zero wastage anything that's ever printed wrong or defected we list it on our Depop site, on our Vinted site, or we donate it to charity to make sure that it's not just going to waste. That's amazing. I I I, I had no idea that that's how you worked. That's that's yeah. so cool. So do you? I mean that that must make you way more nimble in terms of reacting to things because you don't hold all this stock, right? You aren't like, yeah. oh, this line didn't sell very well. Oh shit, we've got, you know, we've got forty k's worth of stock sitting there. So like, do do you? Do you find that launching collections, you're launching them constantly, I imagine, right? Yeah, so we launch in the moment. Um, every week, we're putting new graphics on. And it's it goes back to sort of just trying to keep yourself interested in the brand and the business. And like you said, without launching too much stuff that it becomes a little bit throwaway, we, we are launching quite regularly, but it's always on our core blocks, our core colors. Mm-hmm. And our, our customers really like it. It keeps keeps the message in front of the customers and stuff so yeah we're, we're, we're really nimble in that sense and we, we don't we have very little wasted stock which i love saying it because like you said yeah some business and some brands will, will be sat on thousands and thousands of units that they'll either have to sell at a very very reduced price at a loss or even just get rid of it which is a shame really so what's what would you say has been your biggest learning so far in the 10 years of you running 304? What's the one thing which you will take through into maybe your, or, or other businesses which you end up running? I, I, I'd probably say that 
like you said yourself in your business that when something goes wrong you just have to not get too emotional about it and think this is the end sit down take your time take a breather come up with a solution and then eventually that problem actually becomes a positive and part of your ammunition to go forward because once you solve a problem if it happens again you you're set for it if you get another smaller problem in the future it's not as big as what you've done in the past and i think that mental strength you need it in business you need it in brand building i am um, i sort of compare it to running that if you start running you always get to a point where you think you're absolutely done and dusted you can't carry on and if you do just get in your own head and say no i can push past this for 2 3 minutes it becomes easy again i think that's similar to business that you you get that runner's block on a daily basis to be honest with you but if you push through it it becomes easy again you think okay that problem wasn't the end of the world and i think that at the beginning when we first started the business and brand everything that went wrong we were like we took things personally we thought oh, yeah. this is the end we're the only person going through these problems but anyone that owns a business anyone that's uh, runs a brand or even just life in general they all, everyone has problems that you have to navigate through hmm. just try and get that mental strength to, to do it yeah and what's next for yourself what's next for 304 <laughs> do you have any plans on the horizon um i would say that the immediate plan is it's our 10th birthday in august so we've got quite a lot of pla- uh, quite a lot of things planned in terms of showcasing previous stuff we're we're bringing customers into the office to try and meet the brand and doing a lot of content around the past 10 years really um which is really exciting we're going to start first of august so if anyone follows 304 club you'll you'll see over that month of august pretty much the 10 year history and then see what we've got planned for the next 10 years if people want to follow along uh with your journey with 304's journey what's the best place for people to do that um any of our social medias really so the three the brands 304 clothing on everything pretty much tiktok instagram facebook and then me personally my social medias dmp at three at the mp 304 so you'll find me on instagram uh, twitter and things like that as well amazing i'd love to speak to you for longer but we've reached our time limit so thank you so much david it's been a real pleasure to have you on i'm excited for all the the fraggle merchandise you're going to be making for yeah. myself and the people on twitter who keep on asking for it uh so thank you so much mate it's been a real pleasure having you i wish you all the best with the 10 year anniversary i'm excited to buy some more three or four myself um and i'll see you again soon yeah thanks for having me guys and that's it for the d2c deep dive this week thank you ever so much for listening if you've enjoyed this one then make sure that you rate it five stars on spotify itunes or wherever you listen or watch the podcast we're on spotify video now which means that you can watch us and listen to us all at the same time very fancy you can follow me on twitter at sour fraser and well i'll see you in the next one bye bye